Welcome everybody, this is Wine & Culture Los Angeles. I'm Devin, your host, your neighborhood wine expert, sommelier. I am here with uh, someone who is wearing a Seattle Supersonics Sean Kemp jersey. This is Baxter Holmes, senior national NBA wine writer. Well, NBA writer, but I say NBA and wine writer at ESPN. Um, do you remember the uh, shot recently of Kyle Kuzma on the bench where he took the, the crown and he get, put it on LeBron's head? So I would like to take this oh, man. crown <laughs> and just put it on your head, the wine crown, and put it on your head. Because it's official, man. You are kind of like the the wine guy of of ESPN. I, I would say so. Thank you. I, I feel like, uh, well, first of all, I had to, I'm I was born just outside Seattle. Sean right. Kemp was my everything growing up. And since we were going to do this on a basketball court, yeah. I had to represent. But um, I feel like I was just at the right place at the right time. Like this yeah. wine, the wine movement within the NBA was happening. True. And I just happened to, you know, point a camera at it. In this case, my, you know, my, my pen and, and the story. You were there. Yeah. And that's it. So right, right place, <laughs> right time. I don't no, think I made anything You got to give yourself more credit than that because he's also a James Beard award winning writer um, for the NBA's uh, secret wine obsession, which ironically was peanut butter and jelly. And he did an article on ESPN about the importance of, of and you know, how, how it plays out in those guys day to day and the, and the role it plays. So, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Give that's, yourself some credit. No, thank you, man. I appreciate for sure. that. For sure. Um, Baxter's done a ton of covers, a ton of articles. Um, today we're covering um, some of the, the things that he's done regarding wine, obviously. Um, but you did the, back in, I think it was 2018, you did the uh, NBA Secret Wine Society. Sounds right, yeah. As well as uh, earlier this year, the unofficial uh, NBA bubble, the unofficial wine, oh, the wine club, club. Yeah. bubble, uh, which, was, which was really cool. So the, the 2017 article, uh, what was the Banana Boat Crew? That was Braun... Uh, D-Wade, Mello, CP3. Chris, Chris, uh, yeah, CP3. And yeah. there was this iconic photo. It just seemed kind of candid, but it was just this iconic photo with all of them on a boat uh, on vacation. I think they were in the Bahamas and they were just toasting. Yeah. Wine. It was, um, you know, so I didn't know anything about wine before that story and, and was kind of intimidated even the concept of writing about wine. Yeah. It's, it's a vast, you know, it's very vast, very old. A lot of words I can't pronounce. Right. And it seems like the people who really know it, such as yourself, you're at a level that's, I mean, it's like, it's like people who play basketball casually and then those who play professionally. That's what it right, is. right. So, um, but yeah, this has been happening for the past, I mean, decade or so. Yeah. But I, NBA players, I, the thing I can't emphasize enough is that, like, they certainly have the means to buy good wine, but there is genuine yeah. passion and interest in knowing wine and understanding wine. For sure. The process of everything from the soil to to and everything that goes on with with the you know the terroir to all the way up to harvest how it's stored the vintages and understanding it yep. there's a lot of people who have money who can buy good sure. wine but the thing that people wine collectors winemakers you know psalms master psalms wine directors had said is like this is a group of people who are obviously incredibly intelligent yep. um they've reached the top one percent of what they do and yep. they they understand the path to greatness and they see that with respect to great wine, yeah, and they're they want to understand it as well. So it's, I've used the phrase, it's like game recognizing game in yeah, a way. Yeah, for sure. Know? So yeah, they recognize excellence. And then you continued that on uh, this year uh, with the NBA being in the bubble. You did the uh, bubbles official <laughs> wine club where you had a, highlighted guys like JJ Redick, who I know that's a good friend of yours, as well as CJ McCollum, who just released his Heritage ninety one wine. Yeah. Very very smart move um and then yeah I, I was reading the article and it said that by far the number one thing that is being delivered 
in the bubble right now is wine. Yeah, it was so yeah. interesting. So like I was seeing some, some pictures of, of guys with nice bottles yeah. and everything. And I knew that wine obviously had been a thing in the NBA. But uh, when I eventually got in touch with the two people who were in charge of the warehouse, yeah. and they were telling me about, you know, we get, I want to say it's between like 700 and 1200 packages a day yeah. that are coming into the bubble. I said, what do you recognize the most? They said, definitely wine. That's you know, crazy. talking stemware, fridges, and all kinds of cases of wine. And obviously some of these are really nice bottles. And so my main thing was like, are these bottles in a place where the wine won't be compromised? For sure. Um, but, but the other thing, the thing I would say more than anything, these guys are away from home. They're on a restricted campus. They're spending, as some players have told me, an incredible amount of time in their hotel rooms. Yeah, um, stuck in the room, There's a right? pandemic going on. There's a historic uh, movement for social justice going on. Yeah. It's a very heavy time in the world right now. And several of the players said being able to open a glass of wine or a bottle of wine and have a glass from a distance yeah. with a teammate or a friend and have conversation, have human interaction is really important for just mental health. So I can't emphasize that enough. I think for that sure. people are, I think that's true for a lot of people right now who are just are um, in places where, you know, because of the pandemic or what have you, they're having to stay home a lot. Yeah. So I think to be able to have some sense of normalcy and comfort, whatever that is, is really important. True, man. Talk about the ride that you've been on, because like I yeah. said, you've been, I mean, I, I engage with your gram uh, a lot. So I'm <laughs> able to see, you know, all these cool experiences you're having. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have some of the same experiences, but not like that. <laughs> you, you're doing it on a different level. Talk about the ride, man. Have you been having uh, crazy wine dinners with yeah. NBA All-Stars every night? What's it been no, like? No, no. Well, look, I mean, again, so my, my whole, this journey started three years ago. Yeah. I think it was like 2017 when I noticed that guys were starting to get into wine. This was like late in that year. Mm -hmm. And then it was like a crash course to try to learn about wine in a way where I didn't look like an idiot. Right. And I had a lot of people at a lot of places around the country who were incredibly helpful and generous with their time. Yeah. And, and answering a million very, very, very basic elementary questions. But I came to kind of love wine because I came to realize that every bottle is, is in its own way, like my passion is storytelling, but every bottle is in its own way a story. It's a story. This is a story. Yeah, it's a story of the people that made it. Yeah. Uh, it's a story of that, that year and what the grapes went through. Yep. Um, climate, yeah, hail, climate. frost, mold, yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. So, and then it's locked in that bottle. And yeah. I've been around some really great bottles. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to be at dinners where people are just big NBA fans. They love wine. They wanted someone to talk about it. Both of those things with, so I've been I've been fortunate there, but it's been an amazing experience. I mean, I, I won't lie. Well, I have a I have a kind of unfair question for you. Um, doing this for the past few years at the the level of depth that you have been, if you had to pick your favorite wine experience, it could be a dinner, yeah. it could be somebody you hung out with. I know you have so many great people that are that are kind of showing you the world still. But if you had to pick one experience, one wine related experience that has been your favorite over the past few years, what would it be? That is an unfair question. I, I uh, want it to and be. And I, I know that you, I know that I you prefaced it, it with that. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, one of the ones that I felt, um, and I, I, I feel fortunate that I could pick from a few, but mm -hmm. I was invited to a dinner at Eleven Madison Park, Oof. and it was a, it was a, a three Michelin star New York, and it was a vertical dinner in their private dining room right. of Vegas Cecilia wine, from I think 1994, with vintages back to 1953. And it was probably a dozen people there. It was Cedric Nicase, the executive wine director, you know, led the room, told a bunch of great stories. I sat next to two. Like, there was a lot of really fascinating people, but the wine was incredible. The 1953 
had an amazing amount of life on it. It was incredibly youthful. And, and um, Vega Sicilia, the most sought-after wine in Spain, the Vega Sicilia Unico, that's the what most it was, yeah. sought-after version of the most sought-after wine in Spain. So yeah. that's, that's incredible. It man. was, yeah, it was one of those stupid nights where I was like, "What am I doing in this room?" <laughs> exactly. I've, I've had a few of those. I'm sure you've had some. Yeah. Where you're like, I, man, yeah. Why am I here? Yeah. But I'm why thirsty. Am I experiences. Yeah. Speaking of us being thirsty, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Get everything set up because we're going to do a side-by-side -side tasting of some crew and one of my favorites paul roger so we got some good stuff uh, lined up for you guys we'll be right back <laughs> all right we are back and we opened up some champagne so today we have baxter's favorite champagne right yeah okay crew grand cuvee we're tasting it side by side with a paul roger brute um, this is one of my, well, excuse me, both of these are my favorite champagnes. Anybody that knows me knows that I love bubbles. Um, these are two of my favorite bottles. I picked these because they have similar styles and hopefully you'll be able to tip off a little bit of the similar styles. So, okay. uh, Cru Grand Cuvée, this is the wine connoisseur champagne. So there's a lot of popular champagnes out there, big names, things like that. This, because of the history and because of the way it's made, it kind of stands out because there's kind of nothing like it. Inside, uh, or excuse me, at the house of uh, Krug, they have 150 different reserve wines. Inside of a bottle of Krug Grand Cuvée, there are 120 different reserve wines from up to 10 different vintages. That's insane. It's just incredible. I'll say that again. 120 different reserve wines from 10 different vintages. So in when this you one open bottle. in the Krug Grand Cuvée, so when you open up a bottle of Krug Grand Cuvée, it's definitely a gift. Um, it's, it's special. It's it's generous yeah. for them to to really put that type of uh, of blend together and to put that type of uh, type of grapes together. The Paul Roger is 30 different reserve wines from about three different uh, vintages. Oh. So it's it's a little bit different. Uh, the price difference is is drastic. This is about a hundred dollars more than the Paul Roger. Um, and I hope that you'll be able to tip off these uh, these differences. Um, and I think, what should we start with? I would say start with the crew. We'll start with the crew. Yeah. You pour your guest first, as always. Thank so we'll sir. do small tastings, and we'll just kind of see what's what's going on. So you should be able to get a little bit of a. It's a small cheers, man. Cheers. Should be able to get a little bit. Let me let my bubbles dissipate a little bit. And then I'm gonna see what we can uh, can get out of this. Toast, bread, I'll say the words toast, bread, brioche, and nuttiness like eight times. So just don't even worry about me. I feel like those are the classic characteristics. Of vintage champagne. Yeah. It's a, I don't wanna say creamy, but it's got a little bit of body and character. Drinking a bottle of Krug is 100% a gift. The Krug app is what I want to show you. Yes. Krug has an app, guys. Um, as I mentioned, at any given time inside of your bottle of Krug Grand Cuvee, there might be up to 10 different vintages, which is just absolutely insane. Um, on the back of every bottle of Krug, there's a little code. This is 119008. You can go to their website and you type it in. So I typed this in before we got here. Mm. Um, this blend has 198 wines from 11 different years. Oh, man. How far back? The oldest wine is from 1996. Oh, oh, great year. The youngest wine is from 2012. Another great year. So, so literally, um, you know, there's not a lot of champagne houses out there that that even have the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, in one bottle of Grand Cru Grand Cuvee, 
it takes up to 20 years of winemaking to make it. So you got 10 different vintages, you got your minimum requirements for aging champagne, and then you got after that six more years in the cellar. 20 years in every bottle of Cru Grand Cuvée. Incredible. That was phenomenal. It tasted like vintage champagne. It tasted like I might have tasted some old 96 grapes in there. So, yeah. boom. Jumping to the Paul Roger. This uh, is considerably cheaper. This was Winston Churchill's favorite champagne. They served this at the Royal Wedding. It's a whole thing. Um, you had Paul Roger before, is that correct? Yes, yes. And I was mentioning off air that I just uh, finished up reading a book about Winston Churchill during the London Blitz. Yeah. And if you like history, it's a great book. If you like wine, also a great book. Yeah. There's plenty of talk about his love of champagne, of uh, drinking it all today. But yes, Paul Roger, I mean, it's why they have the Winston Churchill yep. Paul Roger. Correct. Special in honor of him. So, yeah. And I think they, they only do the Winston Churchill, which is the, the tête de cuvée, the head of the house, the best of the best. Uh, in specific vintages. I want to say the last version was uh, 2008, maybe. Yeah. I know that's 04, but you can't release something that quality every year. Right. Um, again, whereas the business model of Krug is to release a vintage level champagne no matter what God gives you. If he gives you hail, frost, uh, whatever, um, they have so many re different reserve wines that they can blend that in. Um, and Paul Roger is a much smaller production. So. Hmm. Uh, Vouve Clicquot, the yellow label, everybody knows that champagne is, uh, they do 1.5 million cases annually. Annually? Wow. 1.5 million cases annually. Krug does about 400,000. Okay. Paul Roger does about 120,000 cases oh, wow. annually. So it's a very small production. Um, and uh, the, the, the thing that probably in my mind makes this so similar to Krug is that the minimum aging requirements for non-vintage champagne is 15 months. They push it to three years. And so you're gonna, again, get a lot of it, a lot of that bread, that toast, that brioche, and, and let's taste it, man, yeah, and see what we get. Sure. I hope it's, uh, it stands up to the, to the Krug for sure. Oh, the nose is very nice, yeah. Oh man, it's even more of a pronounced like saffron yellow, just like honeysuckle, like kind of like golden. Yeah. You definitely get those classic characteristics of vintage champagne in there that we were talking about earlier. The flavor is like bursting. Yeah. This is good shit. Yeah. Feels a, lot, a little brighter than the other one, but like lovely. Definitely brighter. Yeah. <clears throat> oh man, I'm gonna uh, do this again. Um, Baxter, we dedicated this entire episode to Kobe Bryant. Mm. 2020 got off on a uh, shitty, uh, off to a shitty start uh, with the, the news you got about Kobe. Um, you were uh, fortunate enough to know him, to cover him, to work with him. Um, what's your what's your best Kobe encounter or best Kobe story? Yes, that's it's a great question. Um, so when I was hired to work for ESPN, it was to cover the Lakers, and it was Kobe Bryant's final years with the team. He mm -hmm. obviously wasn't the same player physically. This was after his Achilles rupture. Um, and I think I covered, he had, I want to say, another couple season-ending injuries. But yeah. I covered the end, including his final season, including his final game. and got to know him. He was obviously at a different place than he was earlier in his career. I think he was more... He was ready, right? Yeah, but he, he kind of softened his persona a little yeah, for bit. Sure. Like, he was for more, sure. you know, I think... He, he had kind of realized his own mortality. He was also looking towards the second chapter of his life. Yeah. So, you know, I got to know him. Um, and I think in part because he was very interested in the storytelling mm -hmm. aspect of the second part of his career, which is my, my stock and trade. Mm -hmm. So the story that I'll tell, is, I, I write about wine in the NBA. 
But the first player that I ever had wine with was Kobe. Wow. Um, who I know whose nickname is Vino, but he would he would have told you. He told me he doesn't. He was honest. He doesn't know anything about wine. <laughs> uh, you know, he grew up in Italy and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but we were in Cleveland during his final season, mm -hmm. and it must have been four o'clock in the afternoon. I was just at my hotel, mm -hmm. and I got a message from him asking if I could join him for dinner in about thirty minutes. Wow. Something like that, and uh, over at the, they were staying at the Ritz. I was at a hotel that was nearby. Yeah, and I was like, yes. So yeah. I uh, got over there pretty quick, and we went to the restaurant in the Ritz, and um, and it was just me and him. The restaurant was still closed. Wow. Uh, but we sat at kind of a just a two top, kind of in an area away, and I remember thinking like, well, he knows about wine, so I'll let him order the wine and he yeah. was like now I'll leave it to you and I I, wow. I couldn't tell you the producer but it was um, I know it was like domestic Pinot I was I didn't know anything believe me I mean this is like 20 <laughs> if I started learning wine about the last three years imagine what you I knew you could have done some damage yeah. yeah six seven years ago I right. knew nothing right? right I was just like oh well Pinot's supposedly pretty good so I'll yeah. order that but I thought huh. he knew, I knew so interesting I just remember he was like just he'd said the waiter like two of those yeah and we ended up having we were there for probably five or six hours wow um at dinner? Yeah, and uh, he wanted to talk about storytelling uh -huh. and about the art and craft of it, the art of coming up with ideas, identifying ideas, um, moving ideas from the kind of conceptual phase towards, you know, progress towards completion. Right. He wanted to talk about books and writing and interviewing techniques and whatnot. He really... Um, he asked, I mean, it's funny because, like, I'd always interviewed him. Yeah. And I had gotten to know him well. I talked to him on the phone and, wow. and in person plenty. But uh, it, was, it was an instance where he was interviewing me a lot. And uh, over the course of a, a long, great dinner. And we talked to, yeah. Six hours, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a long one. That's insane. Um, I don't even remember exactly when I got back to my hotel, but it was, it was pretty special. I, and one other little thing that was funny, I remember when the check came. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I knew like, look, I, you know, I'm with ESPN and we're owned by Disney, and there's probably certain limits as to what I can do on an expense report. Right. But nobody will will give me trouble about Kobe. Yeah, about like, well, who's the dinner with? This is an expensive bill. Like, well, it's with Kobe. They're like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so we both we both reach for it, and I was like, I was like, I can get it. You know, trust me, I can get it. And he was like, trust me. <laughs> and the thing I was thinking about in the back of my head was at the time. Kobe was the highest paid player in the NBA. He's making Correct. like 25, 25 yeah. Yeah, it's 25 year. million. And I was thinking like, okay, yeah. This like the percentage-wise of what he makes and what this is versus you know what this would be to me dropping the hat. Is such a yeah, yeah. I mean it's yeah, it yeah, be yeah, the yeah. Uh, enormous difference, but I mean that's one I'm, I was fortunate as I said I got to know him yeah. and then know him even more after uh, basketball ended, but uh yeah. As I've, as I've started to think about like wine and whatnot and have, have wine yeah. with various players, I don't know if there will be, I mean, he'll always be the first one that I've yeah. with. Was he, was he asking questions uh, to, to, because I, you know, he did the, uh, the series where he won the, the award, I, I wasn't it? Dear Basketball. Yeah. So was he asking questions in, in preparation for that or was it about journalism, writing? Cause you said I think he was, well, he was one to do, trying to, trying to yeah, get, I think understand. he was one to do, um, novels and different 
I mean, you know, he was working on a lot of stuff um, after his career, whether it was children's books, whether it was novels, right. whether it was um, animated shorts. Um, he's doing his podcast. He was doing some stuff for us, but he was building his empire. And then he had his, his um, I think there was a documentary in the works about his final season where they captured an incredible amount of footage. So he had his hands in a lot of things. And so I think the concept of just talking about stories and ideas, yeah. it really does translate to a lot of different things regardless of the medium, whether it's it's print, yeah. audio, video, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, that kind of stuff. So he was, he was asking me a lot of, about that. And like, by no means do I think that I know a lot of that stuff. I mean, obviously I got to know him and I think he just wanted to talk and, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, it, it was special at the time. Certainly it was very cool. Yeah. But in the, in the wake of his passing, I've certainly reflected on sure. my interactions with him, that being one of many. For sure. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very sad loss for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, traumatizing to say the least. Yeah. Um, Speaking of uh, media, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a polarizing time uh, for our country. There's a lot of, you know, crazy stuff in the media. The, the term uh, fake news is thrown uh, out a lot. Um, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories out there. There's a lot of misleading, uh, misinformation out yeah. there. You know, I, sometimes I go and turn the news on and sometimes it's just too much. It's, it's I, you know, I don't, I, I, I can't, I don't have the energy to kind of uh, invest in it. But I'm, I'm at a point now where it's just like, what, what do we believe? And yeah. I mean, as a, as a writer, as a journalist, what do you feel is maybe the most important aspect in, in keeping journalism authentic, man? Yeah, um, it's a great, it's a great, complicated, difficult question at a time like this, and something that I wrestle with a lot. Yeah. At times, I feel kind of hopeless because. Really? You know, it's my job. If you feel like that, that's a problem. I know. Well, there's times when I feel that way because I, it's my job to go out and, and gather facts and suss mm -hmm. out the truth. And mm -hmm. then I have editors and there are fact checkers and, you know, there's professional. Oh, really? You got fact checkers? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, like, there are people who are, you know, it goes through all these layers to make sure that it's right. Yep. But then you have, you have people in the social media era who can spread things that aren't, they don't have any, there's no oversight, right? There's no... They can say anything and it can go viral and there was no, they had no care whether it was true or not. And there were no layers of people above them to verify that it was true. So I, one thing that gives me hope is that the subscriptions at a lot of places like, you know, New York Times, New Yorker, uh, Washington Post, The Atlantic have never been higher. Hundreds mm. of thousands, if not millions of people over the last few years have subscribed. There's been a great investment in uh, professional news gathering, which takes yeah. professionals. In the same way that, like, look, I can't make wine, and I wouldn't pretend to make wine. I would leave it to professionals who know how to work the soil and and uh, to get the best out of the grapes through that process to make a professional product. Right. You know, I, I leave it in this. It's like that with everything. Like, you know, if, if my car was making a weird noise, I didn't know it was wrong, I wouldn't try to fix it. I would take right. it to a professional to fix it. Right. And there are professionals who know how to work with information. Yeah. They know, you know, if they know how to fact check things, how to get documents, how to verify those documents, how to have editors and lawyers at our company who know how to how to get something to um, that level where it's it's verifiable and publishable. Yeah. And that stuff I lean on for hope. But the social media era 
um, and the algorithms behind it really so much shit out there yeah yeah and this like, and the problem is is it spreads like wildfire yeah, yeah you, know, you don't and, know it's true and during during like a pandemic people if it's if it's like fake things about you know if you drink hot water you won't get the virus or yeah. that masks aren't good or whatever and right. and the thing that it drives people crazy is like the doctors you know yeah who are trying to save people's lives like, look look this is they're trying to give you basic information and you have people who yeah. don't they're just trying to become famous and they don't care who they hurt and so right. um the thing that i would Sucks. say to people is like i've worked at very professional news organizations the late nobody knows like you know i wasn't at krug when they made this spot right i didn't see all the work that went behind it all the people who were doing it at various levels to make sure it was just right i only get to enjoy it right so when a story comes out from like a, you know the new yorker drops some big investigation all we see is the finished product right. we don't see the months and the years and the fact checkers and all the editors and the lawyers and everything all the time yeah they vetted everything to the nth degree so the one thing i would say is at a time like this please you know have it's like the, the phrase information hygiene yeah you know, yeah. you can't just trust anything. Yeah. But certain institutions have been doing it right for a long time. They have the infrastructure in place to make sure they get it right. Like, you know, it's the same way that I mean, you can honestly you can translate to mine. Like, there's certain mine labels I trust. My oh, I know they're going to do a great job. Exactly. They've been doing a great job for a long time. They know what they're doing. There's exactly. history, tradition. There's care. They have talent. They have expertise and skill. Yeah. So that's what I lean on. So that's what I would say to people is like, if you don't. You know, if something seems like it's just gonna, if they're to, for like clickbait or it's trying, it's like a, it doesn't add up, it doesn't yeah. pass the smell test, do one Google search and it's probably not. Yeah, for sure. But you should check, yeah, check your source, just like with anything, you know? How, how's the, uh, how's the champagne? Oh, man. I think you poured some more of the crew, yeah. I mean, we were talking about, I mean, it, so speaking of writing, so many of the greatest quotes in, the history of literature are uh -huh. all about champagne. So many of the greatest quotes in history are all about champagne. Did I give you the Winston Churchill quote um, um, about Paul Roger is, in victory, I deserve it. Or in like, in defeat, I require it or something like in that. In defeat, I need Yeah, I can't, I can't remember if that was Churchill or if that was Napoleon. That was but Churchill. Like, it was Churchill, okay. Yeah. Um, there's a famous quote from Hemingway. He said, uh, if I have any money, I can think of no better way of spending money than on champagne. Yeah. Um, I can put any one of those on my wall. Yeah, right yeah. There's a million quotes. I mean, like honestly, it's uh, and and speaking of champagne, one of the things I've really come to learn in just wine mm -hmm. is the way in which champagne it pairs with everything. Yeah. Uh, I've had whole kind dinners of. now where you've had champagne all throughout. It's great to start a meal, obviously. Um, it's great to end a meal. Very refreshing on the palate. Right. It always makes everybody happy. I know. It's you a know? celebration. It's, it's more yeah. of a, uh, a feeling. It's, it's, a, it's a party. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a palpable thing. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. That sound of the cork popping. Oh, yeah. If you're in any room, and you've done this, if you're in any room where someone pops a champagne oh, cork, yeah. look around the room. You'll see the smiles. And many times you're taught to... Instant happiness. Many times you're taught to just keep it quiet. Yeah, You, you yeah, don't yeah. want the big pop, but... I mean, yeah, you can be in a loud room or even a room that's not loud. You you hear that cork pop, it's like, okay, yeah, let's go, let's let's have a good time. So yeah, champagne is just like one of those universal uh, things uh, that I mean, I can drink. But again, I talk about wine and culture, but like I can drink champagne every day. Yeah, and so many of my good friends would say if you'd ask them what style of wine, if they had, were limited to one style for the rest of their life, what would they drink? Like 90% of them say champagne. For sure. For yeah. sure. Bubbles is popular. If you could have 
champagne or, or wine with one person who you have not yet had wine with, who would it be? I think I is know. Is this an NBA? Is this an NBA only question or just no, anybody question? No, it could be. It's, it's it's only. I think I know. Well, if we talk NBA, I think I know who you're gonna say. NBA would be Greg Pop. I knew it. Yeah. I knew you were gonna say Pop. Yeah. I mean, he's been into it seriously for like 50 years. Yeah. And I, I I'd love to learn from him. Yeah. Um, I know I've been told like what he really likes, and yeah. so I'd like to try to bring some of those things. Yeah. But it'd be hard because he, it's, he's, he's a man who's at everything. Yeah. Um, outside the NBA, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. I The guy who I think about, who in that same vein, like, I know knows a lot about it. Yeah. I think is a really interesting person, and I think I could learn from him would be Jay-Z. Yeah, for I've sure. I've heard from sommeliers and wine directors about his knowledge, and they speak of him with incredible reverence. Yeah. So, well, um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be uh, near uh, his wine knowledge, and and yeah, man, he uh, he knows this stuff. Um, as we were talking earlier, yeah, he knows good producers, but not only that, he knows the vintages. He knows the right stuff to to pick, to select, and to drink. So he he's on top of his game. He knows the stuff for sure. What about you? I'm curious. I'm gonna turn it on you. Turn it back around on you. Who would I? Jay Z, hands down. Really? Okay. I would want to have. Um, some some wine with Jay and uh, I've been fortunate to have wine with some really unbelievable people but uh, not Jay yet and I would love to I've been in a room with Jay-Z I shared a laugh with Jay-Z is a long story but it would be really cool to to sit down and just have like um, some burgundy with him you know what I mean some old mid-2000s burgundy 2005 Dujac Chambertin something like that uh, I know he's a big Pinot Noir guy so so that would be uh, that'd be really cool um in that same breath I know, I have a feeling that you're gonna get to have uh, wine soon with Greg Popovich. I, I feel the energy and and I might have some insider information. Um, oh. You and I have done uh, a, a lot of things. Again, this is a long time coming, man. We, we have been at crazy wine events. Yeah. I've been doing some cool stuff, but I, I might have some insider information that you and I will probably be doing something very, very cool wine related in 2021. Well, I'm look, keep my I, lip, I'm, no, I'm not going to tell you who my sources are. Okay. Uh, we will fact check that. But uh, I trust you, and I, I'm excited about that. I think, I think I'm excited. It's if, I mean, you're giving me hope for 2021 already. I like it. I think it's going to happen, man. <laughs> Our glasses are empty. We're going to keep drinking. Um, Baxter, thank you so much for being here with me. This is Wine and Culture Los Angeles. I'm Devin. Uh, my goal is to educate the culture, the hip hop culture on wine um thank you so much man it's a hot day it was kind of crazy today but we got some krug champagne we got some paul roger and we're gonna keep going so thank you very much man i appreciate you appreciate Good you night, everybody i got to give you this sir oh man your own very own 168th edition oh. feel free to call me when you uh open i was it. gonna say I it'll mean, have to be a special occasion i'd love for it to be one with you i'm always thirsty man yeah sure. that's for you thanks for being here man i appreciate you Thank you, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate yep. it. To the left of that decimal, I need seven figures to play the joint. Turn up your decibels, peepie decimator joint. Check out my projects like them workers that section eight of points. And you'll see how I flip like exclamation points. My niggas shoot first as if they never played the point. More two guards, enough straps to fill for you hogs. More depth than World War II calls around these parts. We put a brown just to drown these thoughts.